Today is going to be one of those times where we're going to kind of just be like family. Um, This is a message that normally I think most people would just try to skip over because it's kind of in-house and it's it's kind of structural in in and of itself. And it's kind of, what does the church look like? How does it function? And sometimes these things can be, you know, more set aside for um, a group that, uh, you know, what does the church deal with and how do we deal with things? And I think... I think this is important for all of us to know. I think it's an important message in the fact of how this problem that came upon this church, how you guys, how this problem became um, solved. And I think what we're trying to do as a church is to become like these people. We're trying to emulate them as best we know how. And so this is a very, very wonderful lesson for us to learn. But it's it's kind of just practical stuff. It's it's, it's not a stuff like when Kay asks me sometimes during the week, how's the message coming? And, and oftentimes I'll say to her, well, gosh, this is just like pure vanilla. In other words, there's nothing really to it. There's, it's just pure. It's just in and of itself. But the Word of God is good, and so it's good for us to study it no matter what. And, and certainly we don't want to miss anything. And In fact, during this, that picture you drew is incredible, Diane. Diane is an artist. And I didn't realize that you are a bona fide artist. I mean, you are so good, Diane. That blue, the, the lady, the blue lady, I guess you, we owe you money for that, or do <laughs> you did that? <laughs> that is something else. I cannot take my eyes off it. It's beautiful. Uh, Diane Youngblood, or now Diane, I don't know how you say your last name yet, but uh, she is such a wonderful artist. She's just a real artist. And... Uh, just is beautiful, beautiful work. This place in Scripture is kind of just, just in-house. But it is my deepest prayer that we become like these people. And if you'll see how this is solved, this is in my mind and in my heart how I would love for us to deal with situations within our church. It is just... It is beautiful in how it is done. And key to it is the seventh verse. Read with me verses 1 through 7 of Acts chapter 6. By the way, for those of you that are visiting with us, thanks. Um, There's just not words enough for us to say thank you for coming, making of your your time to come to our church and to worship with us. And we pray that you would feel welcome here. We really do. Um, As you probably already noted, we're fairly informal. Uh, We take very serious the Word of God. We do. But um, we don't take ourselves <laughs> very seriously. Uh, we, we feel that we're very, very uh, informal as, as a group of people. Once we come to study the Word of God, we try with all of our hearts to find out what is He trying to say to us. And in this book of Acts, uh, for those of you that are visiting, it's kind of a, a representation of how the church began. It's uh, Peter and the apostles uh, our Lord died, left with them a message. He rose from the dead, left with them the orders of how they were to establish the church. And so on the first, uh, first day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, on the first message, Peter gave a message and 3,000 people, we are told, came to know the Lord. Later he gave a second message and 5,000 just men alone, probably um, another maybe 10, uh, maybe 12,000 people came to the Lord. And so the church was growing. It was becoming a, a, quite a big thing. And, and, and within that, uh, there are structural problems. How do you deal with situations that come? Well, 
here today, as you're going to see in the sixth chapter, there becomes a, a problem about discrimination, a racial problem, if you would. There's the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews were basically um, people who were raised in the culture of Greece. And so by, by their culture, they spoke Greek. They uh, followed after the customs of Greece. And so they were like Gentiles of sorts. The other hand, as you see in verse 1, as we're going to read in a moment, the, the natural Hebrews, those who were Hebrew by birth, they followed the Mosaic law, and they spoke Hebrew. And so what it was like was like Jew and Gentile being blended together. And in that, that was a problem because they had not really come together before this time as they now were integrated within the church. Within this problem, as we're going to read and you'll see, the Hellenistic Jews, those who were of the Greek speaking, felt that they were being slighted. Their widows were being slighted. And they didn't like it. And so they wanted it to be solved. And here we're going to see within the message today is how the apostles and the church itself solved this problem. Read with me in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. The twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from yourself, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. After praying, they laid their hands on them. Verse 7, really important. And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Let me tell you what I'm going to, to tell you. What I'm going to say to you is the way they solved this problem from verse 1 to verse 6 enabled verse 7 to be real. And verse 7 is the process of every church. What a church should become like is verse 7, where people are increasing in number of believing and trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And even the priest, even those who were religious um, to the nth degree the other way, were also now becoming obedient to the faith. And what allowed these people to become obedient to the faith and increase in number of coming to Christ was that they saw that the church handled the problem correctly and there was, a, a, there was not a... I'm spitting like crazy... I am spinning like crazy. Please forgive him. <laughs> He's going like this. Can't read my notes. Um, and, and, and people were coming to Christ. I think that's what it was. I got a little, little messed up on that. But, it, but the beauty of it all is that there were people coming to Christ because this was what I was going to say. They stopped the division. They stopped the problem within the church. Now, how they stopped it is what you and I need to learn and how they handled it is even more important than how they stopped it. 
So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to bless us in this time. Father, please do that. Open up our eyes, dear Father, that we might behold wonderful things from your law. From the Bible that we just read from, Father, we, we consider this at this church, what we just read, the very essence of who you are, your word. You promised us, as we read last week, that, that your word that comes forth from your mouth will not, not return void. It will accomplish what you have uh, desired for it to do. And so, Lord, we don't take it upon ourselves as, um, very seriously insofar as uh, that we are going to do anything magnificent today. We believe that you'll do that. All we ask, that Father, is that you would allow us to move aside so that uh, we won't be noticed that much. But rather, we will notice the words that we have read, uh, the attitude of, of who you are and how you dealt with uh, the church situation back in uh, the day of Pentecost, the first church that was formed. May we become like them, Father, in a sense that we be uh, obedient to where you want us to go and how you want us to deal with things. Bless us, please, dear Father, I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Bless us. Amen. The church... For the first part, let me just say, the church has been called out in this world in which we live to become a living organism. We are established by God. With that being said, the church is not supposed to, by any stretch of the imagination, conform itself into the image of the world. We've not been asked to do that. We have been given orders not to do that. What we have become, what we ought to become, is a place where the world becomes conformed into what the church is like. It's never supposed to be the other way around. Jesus Christ is the head. We learned that from probably the very beginning. That's, that's Bible 101. Jesus Christ is the very foundational head of the church. And we are to follow the head of the church. He is the head. The body just goes where the head goes. And so, we see within the world in which we live that God has created, not only this church, but the world, we see one thing very similar, very, very much of a pattern of who God is. What we'll note, if you study the Bible, is that God is a God of organization. The universe in which we live, we can trust that tomorrow the sun is going to rise in the morning and things are going to go on as usual. God is a God of order. Now, with that in mind, questions that often occur concerning a church is, what then should the church reflect? Well, the church should not reflect the world. The world should become like the church. Most churches have kind of um, missed on that. They try to become like this world in which we live so as to make the church compatible for those that come in and visit. That's never the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to try to deceive people into what we are not. We're to allow them to see what we are. And then, as, as the Bible taught, and this is the great book of Acts, that if we're obedient and the people hold us in high esteem, if, if, if we deal with situations in our church, then, then we will be found favorable to the world. They've they might wonder about us. They'll think we're weird. But God then says he will add to our number daily people that are being saved. It's all his, not problem, but his 
problem. <laughs> he is the one that needs to add to us. We just need to emulate him and be like him. Now, some would argue that the church should therefore reject any formal structure or organization, that we should just kind of flow with the Spirit. Others would say, oh, no, no, on the contrary. We should be like a large corporation. We should be complete with detailed organizational charts, job description, boards, committees, etc. Which is it? Which one is correct? Well, the truth of the matter, they're both correct. Neither to the extreme, but both of them are correct. The true church will find its head in Jesus Christ. A true church will be willing to move wherever he moves. The body follows the head. Therefore, the movement of the Spirit of God within a, a body of believers follows the desires of Christ and becomes the structure, therefore, in that manner. In other words, we don't set up a system and say, God, this is what we are. God, this is what we'll be. Bless us in this. No, we, we set up a structure saying, God, which way are you moving? And we will follow you wherever you go. I'll give you a point, in fact, uh, kind of just a little point of it. Uh, a few weeks ago, I made the promise that we were going to have uh, those that were uh, at our VBS uh, Vacation Bible School, we were going to have them come and, and share some of the miracles that took place. We're still going to do that. Um, we just want to get a little more organized before we do it. Nonetheless... During that process, one of the things that took place that I can't wait for you to hear, I'm going to give you kind of an overview of it, but not really the depth of what took place. During Vacation Bible School, one woman got the dream of, of purchasing a couple of wheelchairs for people in need. So she just, in her class with the kids, she said, let's, let's have a project. Let's have a project this week and let's raise uh, some money and, and let's purchase a couple of a wheelchair or two. The kids took upon that as, a, as, as, as let's go. They started breaking piggy banks, bringing in money. They started going around their community. They started going door to door, asking people in their, in their neighborhood, can you help us? We want to raise wheelchairs for, for kids, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And they started doing this. Ends up, they raise over enough money to, to not buy a couple wheelchairs, but 40, 60, 50, I don't know how many. It was like a miracle, really. I know that's not a huge miracle, but to me it was like a miracle. These kids just raised all this money. And what we did was we saw that happening and we said, let's move. God's moving, let's move. And so there was this one woman that was going to India. And, and there in India, she, she, there, were, there were people that had desperate need for wheelchairs. We raised so much money. We bought so many wheelchairs that she took most of the wheelchairs to India to give away. That's how God does things. Did we, when we started Vacation Bible School, have any idea that we were going to raise money? No, nobody even knew it. I didn't. Nobody knew it. Just this woman had a dream to, to raise a, a couple bucks to, to buy a wheelchair. And the kids just took off with it. You see, that's the way God moves. And when God moves, we need to be ready to move with Him. We, couldn't have, we could have said, no, 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 it's not our mission to raise wheelchairs money. We, we, we have other mission plans. Rather, we said, God's moving. 
let's move with him. And that's the way we want to be as a church. They were, the early church, were organized. But they grew so rapidly, they got beyond themselves. I say to you, they were organized. If you look at chapter 2, verse 41, and chapter 4 and verse 4, we saw in chapter 2 that they numbered that there were 3,000 people that came to Christ. In chapter 4 and verse 4, they numbered that there were 5,000 men alone that came to Christ. And so there was somebody who was charting the new believers. After the fourth chapter, anytime thereafter, when they mention people coming to Christ, they just say multitudes, great numbers, increasing greatly. They don't number them as much anymore. Reason being, I believe they were just growing so fast. Some commentators believe by now, this chapter, the sixth chapter, the church was, in a short period of time, about twenty to 25,000 people strong. And that's a... Let me tell you something, that's a huge undertaking. That takes a lot of work. They were also organized because they knew where to meet, they knew when to meet, they knew where they were supposed to be. If you look at chapter 2, verse 46, and if you look at chapter 5, verse 42, they knew where they were to go. They knew where they were to worship in the temple, they knew where they were to go to certain homes, they knew what they were to teach, they knew what the meals were, the fellowship was, the communion and prayer. They knew what they were supposed to do. Somebody had to organize all of that. And also, as we learned in chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, especially verse 35, when, when they gave money, when they, when they sold their goods to help the people within the church that had need, they, they, it says in verse 35 of chapter 4, they laid the money, they laid the goods, they laid whatever they had at the apostles' feet, and we learn from there that the apostles distributed to those who were in need. Let me tell you something, that was a huge undertaking. To try to organize that must have been just a, a whole lot of work. All of these activities that they were doing demanded some level of organization within the church. But what we see happen here in chapter 6 illustrates a very important principle. And it is this. Listen, listen closely. The church is always called to, to respond to the needs of what is happening within its four walls. To organize a program and then expect the Holy Spirit to get involved puts the cart before the horse. We dare not try to force the Spirit of God to fit into our mold or our model of a church. No church should do that. No church is an end in and of itself. A church is only a means to facilitate what the Lord God is already doing in and through His church and the people of the church. And so in Acts chapter 6, the church now faces a predicament. It's an organizational crisis that's happening the apostles moved into action to eliminate a, a potentially divisive um, problem that could have been racial in its, in its intent. Now note, they did not get organized beforehand because they didn't know what the problem was. They were presented with the problem just as we read here in, in chapter 6. First came the problem, then came the solution. And immediately what we see in verse 3 is a crucial, critical sign of a healthy church. You might have read it, you might have read over it without even noticing. 
But look what they did. They found qualified people to help from within. The problem is not all the food is being distributed equally. Or so that's what we're told. The Hellenistic Jews are saying our widows aren't getting as much as the, the, the natural Hebrew widows are getting. And so they could have said, well, let's hire a catering company. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's find somebody who really knows the business of passing out food. Let's go out there and hire a company and have them deal with it. That's not what a church is supposed to do. When God creates something within a church, God always has the people within that church to handle the problem. Always. What God requires, God supplies. And so what they do is they go inward. They look within themselves to solve the problem. They found qualified people from within. Verse 3, look, they said, brethren, the elders, is, I mean the, uh, the apostles are saying this, select from yourselves, select from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of the task. With the amazing growth that's going on, the elders must have, uh, the elders, the apostles must have looked at themselves and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, this thing is getting way too big. We can't pass out the food. We can't take care of this. Look what they say in verse 2. They summoned the twelve, the apostles, summoned the congregation, and they said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve food, to serve the tables. In other words, we have a responsibility. Our orders have, been come, have come to us from God. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to teach the word of God, and we're supposed to pray. Now, they, obviously, they had not really made that a, a, an issue up to this point. But now the church is so large, and now they got a problem. What are they going to do? This reminds me of a story. I won't tell you the gentleman's name. I was teaching through spiritual gifts at church. And this gentleman pulled me aside, and he told me the story. He and I were good friends, and, and I just loved him. And he... He wanted to encourage me to say, you're doing all right on teaching about uh, a gift. He said, let me tell you what I've done, what happened to me. His gift was helps. If you don't know what that means, in other words, if, if after this service was over, we said, we need to move the chairs, and we need to set up this room for a, a dining room area, like tables and stuff. He'd be the first one here. After the service, he would, if he was wearing, he'd always come to church. He always came to church with a suit and tie. If he had, he would be in the suit and tie and he would, he would start moving chairs immediately. Boy, he'd start moving and he'd start helping people move things and he would move things around. And he, he just loved doing it. He told me one time, often he said he would be moving chairs and he'd look around and he'd see some people just yap, yap, yapping. No, not, no, not doing work, just yap, yap, yapping. Just talking, you know. And he used to get angry. He's thinking, man, I'm moving all these chairs. This is yap, yap, yapping. Get to work. Stop yapping and get to work. And he was about to confront a person that he saw yap, yap, yapping. And as he walked by, he heard this person talk to this other person about Jesus Christ. And he realized as he listened that this one guy that was yap, yap, yapping all the time was leading this other person to Jesus Christ. And he recognized that this guy that was yap, yap, yapping all the time, that was his gift, evangelism. He loved sharing Christ. 
The guy that loved moving things, he didn't like sharing Christ that much. It intimidated him really to no end. Yet he knew how to lead people to Christ. It just intimidated him. He'd rather work than talk. And he dawned on him that he was angry at this guy because that guy was just doing what God called him to do. Each of us have a, a specific area that we are to, to do within the body of Christ. And so when the apostles said, look, we cannot neglect teaching the word of God and praying just to serve tables. Choose amongst yourself people to do that work. It didn't mean that they were lazy. It meant that they were following their orders that they had from our Lord. Within the church, we have seen a couple of problems arise. The first problem, of course, was persecution. But when Satan persecuted the, the apostles and the members of the church, the more he persecuted them, the more they became on fire. As a matter of fact, the last time, when we studied last week, remember they were flogged? It means they were whipped. 39 lashes? 40, probably, but traditionally they never gave more than 39 so that they didn't give over 40. But they whipped them near death. And do you remember what these guys did when they walked away from being whipped? They considered themselves fortunate. They were overjoyed that, that God would have considered them worthy to get beaten for the cause of his name. And, and let me tell you, when the religious people saw that, they said, no, nah, this ain't going to work. These guys are crazy. So then what they tried to do or what Satan tried to do was to, to disrupt the church from within with Ananias and Sapphira by having them lie unto the very Holy Spirit. And God dealt with that. And so now what we see is that Satan wants to now infiltrate into the church itself and get involved within the body and cause some racial tension. Nothing new. Still fighting with that terrible thing today. You see, in verse 1, the Hellenistic Jews, as I have already mentioned to you, they spoke Greek. They were like Gentiles. The native Hebrews, as it says in verse 1, they were of Jerusalem. They, they spoke Hebrew. They followed the Mosaic Law. And Jew and Gentile, that was not a very good mix in those days. That was a lot of racial tension between the two. And here they are now as a new body of church, a new bunch of believers. Now all of a sudden they're rubbing elbows with one another and the, the Gentiles saying, wait a minute, we're not being treated like the, the natural Hebrews are. Our, our, our widows are being slighted. We don't like it. And so the Hellenistic Jews who were evidently the, the minority group felt that they were being neglected and demanded, demanded that their widows be given equal consideration, rightfully so. You see, a church that is filled, folks, with internal conflict will find its message lost within the community in which we live. Our energy will be dissipated. We'll be trying to solve problems from within rather than doing what God has asked us to do, and that is to live in unity here within our four walls and go out into the community in which we live and share with them the wonders of the Savior who we know and love. A church that is focused on its, itself and its own problems will find it difficult, if not impossible, to reach the world. And by the way, let me say to you, any church that grows, it is inevitable that someone's needs will be overlooked. 
the question that you and I need to deal with if we feel that that has happened to us is how is how is it handled what you are going through more importantly when it is handled how do you react to what has just taken place what do you react to the answer that was given let's take a look how it's handled I think brilliantly the apostles commanded verse 3 that the church select from its own self seven people of high integrity seven people who were filled with the Spirit of God who were wisdom and, and were righteous people really were upright people now it says select from yourself the word select is important the word select in the Greek is E-P-I-S-K-E-P-T-O-M-A-I. It simply means to oversee or to supervise. In other words, what the apostles said is we won't choose them, you choose them. You choose seven people who will oversee. Seven people who will supervise with this problem that has, arised within our, has arisen within our church. And if you look at them, if you'll note the names, all seven names are of Greek origin, implying that all seven men that were chosen were of the Hellenistic Jewish faith. They came from the Gentile side of it. It is brilliant in its logic. Since the Hellenists felt that they were the ones that were slighted, the apostles decided to appoint, no, the church did. Not the apostles, forgive me. The church decided to appoint seven men from among that group of people to rectify this problem. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. Note, it says that they were to come from amongst them. In other words, they were to choose people within the, their own congregation that they knew. People that they knew they could trust. The congregation chose the men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Then, now watch, here's where the rub comes. Then they presented their choices to the apostles who would then make the final decision, as indicated by the end of verse 3. It says, whom we, whom we may put in charge of this task. In other words, you select them, but we're going to have the final authority of who's going to do this. It, it seemed to me, I was saying to my wife as I was driving, you know, to do the message and talking about it, I wish that one or two of them would have been rejected, you know, that the apostles said, yeah, these five are okay, but the other two, no. But no, they, they let every one of them pass through. It, it doesn't show how they dealt with the situation if one or two of the guys that were chosen would not have been uh, selected. But all seven were selected. All seven were wonderful. And all seven fulfilled the job that they were asked to do. Now, of those seven men, as I was reading in between the, the two services, I was reading where I'm going to go next week. Stephen, he is something else. Stephen was one of the seven chosen. And he will, as we're going to see in the next coming weeks, be stoned to death and and he is the one that said, um, seeing the glory of God when they were throwing stones at him, said, Father, do not count this against them. I can't believe it. I would be saying, kill them. 
get him. Oh, look at that guy. He's throwing a big old stone. Get him. You know, he is saying, forgive him, Father, for they know not what they're doing. Much like our Lord said from the cross, Stephen's amazing. They chose some wonderful people. We know a little bit about Philip as well, but we, the other five people, we know nothing about them hardly at all. But we do know this. Here's what we do know. We know that they played a major, 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 major role in avoiding a very nasty split amongst the early church. They solved the problem. And the church itself accepted what they did. We're not told how they solved it. We're not told what they did. We're just told that, that they selected these seven men, and these seven men must have done a tremendous job because... Well, let me first say verse 6. We see in verse 6, they brought them to the apostles, and after praying, it says, the apostles laid their hands on them. We are told in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22 that we are to not lay our hands on a person too hastily. In other words, don't give someone too young in the faith uh, tremendous responsibilities. It's, it might be too much for them to, uh, to do. But the whole issue of laying on hands, this is the first occasion in the New Testament that we see the laying on of hands. And that simply signified just a simple truth. It signified with the apostles and with the congregation that they identified with these seven men, that they affirmed their ministry and that they supported all they were doing. In other words, when the apostles laid their hands on these guys, they say, what they do, we do. And what we do, they do. We affirm, we support, we identify with them. And the congregation agreed, what they do, we do. And the key to, to solving problems isn't so much how it's initially handed, handled, but how it is uh, accepted, how it is received by those that, that ask for it to be handled. There are often times when, when problems come before a church and a church tries to solve it and everything is fine up to the point of the person that, 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 that the problem was coming against. Ah, I don't like the way they're doing that. That's not the way I would have done it. And then is when it becomes a rub again. But on this case, everyone accepted. They, they laid hands on them, meaning they identified, they, they affirmed, they supported what was being done. And how do we know? Well, because of what took place in verse 7. I'm telling you, verse 7 is an amazing, wonderful verse. Because out of this decision came unity and a wonderful result. As verse 7 said, the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And that is a miracle because that is what the church has been called to do and the problem was solved and in solving the problem they never missed a beat on people coming to know the Lord. Not only was the split avoided by these seven wonderful men and the church itself, but God continued to give them favor in the community, having many people come to Christ, and as it says, even the priests. And so that's the way a church ought to deal with a situation. You need to be a part of what we're doing here at this church. 
You need to know one another so that you can, if need be, select wonderful people to help solve a problem or to help teach. Let's say, for instance, we are growing. Let's say, for instance, in September when when normally a church kind of goes a little bit stagnant during the summer. But not you folks. I don't know. Don't you take vacations? You guys keep coming. It's wonderful. I absolutely love you for it. And so we've not had that, that kind of a, 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 a lag. But, but normally a church in, in September will start to grow. Let's say we grow. And let's say there's people amongst us that want to be taught. If we make a call to the congregation, let's, let's find some people to teach our small groups, our do you know people well enough to find people who are reputable, who, who can be people of, of filled with the Spirit and, 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 uh, and people who are, are um, uh, full of wisdom to be able to do these things? That's what we need to become. We need to become a church that, that, that we're not just run by a, a select few. God forbid. God, God, please forbid. I do not want a church. I do not want to pastor a church that the, the, the senior pastor is the top dog and, and, and he's the one that can bark the loudest. I don't want that. And I don't want a church that is, is run by a, a select group of people. I want us to be a congregation that, 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 that feels that we select and, and, and move together and we see God moving. Just like that lady that, that, that had a vision of getting wheelchairs. And it went from one thing to another to where there is a woman now in India passing out wheelchairs for us. And she's going to come home and she's going to tell us whatever victories that that she might have had during this trip. That happened from a lady, one lady as I know it, with a group of kids, one class as I know it. And they went out and raised money. You're going to hear about this victory. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Not that we have a a, a dream out there that, that, that we've, we've tied ourselves into and come on God, bless us in this dream and, and we're not moving. And one of the realest, one of the, one of the worst things you will ever hear of a church and I've, I went through this. Well, we've, we've never done it like that before. So, what's the big deal of that? Do it now. If God's doing it, let's do it now. That's what I want us to be. A church that hears the voice of God sees the movement of God and moves with him. And so that's, the, that's what will happen. And, and if we become like that type of a church, I'm telling you, God will add to the number of people being saved. Do I want more people so we can have a big church? I don't know if I can answer that straight up and honest with you. I'd say, for me, no. Before our Lord, and for the people that need to know Christ, I'd say yes. With all my heart, yes. You see, bottom line is, I'm a mom-and-pop guy. I like, I like uh, relationships. I, I like just getting to know a few of you, you know, and, oh, Lord, don't let me go bad. Thank you, Father. <laughs> hey, yes, uh, that hurt. <laughs> that hurt my ankles, that hurt my knees. Anyways, I want to be a, I, I'm a mom-and-pop guy. But, but the Lord seems to explode the ministry. That's his business. It's not mine. But I want us to be what God wants us to be. And I'll never try to stop being a mom and pop guy with you. I'm never going to take myself too seriously. Um, and I'm never going to be 
I, I want to be quick to laugh at each other and with each other. And I want us to be all that God wants us to be. That's my dream. It's my dream. And I think that we can be that. I think we can be it. What we need to do is sense where God is moving and move with him. What we need to do is see everybody a minister. Not just, not just a few. All of us. All of us having a hand in this church. All of us, as uh, Tommy Lasorda used to say when I listened to him in spring training, he said, I want 25 guys all pulling on the same end of the rope so that we can pull as, you know, everybody across the finishing line with us first. I mean, I used to hear him say that every year. I used to kind of smile with the guys when he said that. The truth of the matter is that's what it's about. We all get on the same end of the rope and we all pull the way the Lord wants us to go. Now, I'm going to pray with you in a moment and then Fred's going to come up. Pastor Fred, come on up. There he is. And he's going to make an announcement to you. It's interesting that we be at this place in Scripture because in a couple of weeks we're going to have, uh, I don't know what they're going to call it, a grand opening. See, I don't even, I don't even sit in the meetings. The staff is so kind to me. They let me stay home and study, number one, because I hate meetings. And number two, I get impatient in them, and I don't do well, and I don't think that clearly. So they make me stay home and study and pray, and that's wonderful. And so in a few weeks, we're going to have what we call, I guess, our grand opening. We're going to invite the community into our church and, and get to know where we are and, and who we are and what we do and all of that. And, um, and, and Fred's going to kind of inform us about that because we're going to, next, next week, we're going to be passing out some flyers. He'll tell you about it. I'm, let me pray. And I'm going to leave so he can say what he's going to say. I love you. Thank you for doing this. Father, uh, bless, um, bless your word. May we, be, uh, may we be, Father, faithful to follow you. May we have no dreams that go beyond yours. Yes, let us dream dreams, Father. But not set in stone. So that when we see you do something else, we say, well, wait a minute, we can't do that. That's not our dream. Oh, Father, let us dream with you. Let us see your hand at work amongst us. And let us be a church that's faithful to follow you. All the days that you allow us to be open. All the days, Father, that we can make an impact. May we make an impact in this community. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you want people to be saved. You tell us that. And so, Father, we want to move in that direction. We want to be a church that you can faithfully send people to who you know will hear the word of God. And, and then we can see day by day people being coming saved that you've, uh, you've brought here, Father. So bless us. Bless everybody here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Fred.